So welcome back to Loki Legends, where each week I have the opportunity and the privilege to interview some of the most creative people in the world. And this week, my guest is a personal friend. We've worked together in the past. It's Jackie Cow. She is a freelance brand and digital designer with an emphasis on visual identity, art direction, and illustration. She has worked for early stage companies, in-house, and other design studios across various industries, with some of her favorite projects being in the food, beverage, and nonprofit space. She's self-taught with a fine art and urban planning undergrad degree. She tends to source inspiration from atypical places. So we're gonna dive into that more to try and understand who she is as an artist, a designer, and as an individual. So without further ado, Jackie Cow, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Britton. Glad to be here. Yeah. And where are you, Jackie, currently? I am in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, I moved last year and have been living the Danish life <laughs> since then. Um, yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> and that's maybe not where you started. <laughs> um, <No>. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious to kind of dive into how you got into design and the full kind of story from where you grew up and how you landed in Copenhagen and that through line through your kind of creative, uh, I guess, general process and, and career so far. Um, but to kind of get a deeper sense of who you are as a creative, I was curious if there was ever a point in your childhood that stood out to you as, oh, okay, I know that I'm supposed to be in the creative space. This is what I'm meant to do. And I'm going to pursue this for the entirety of my life. Mm, that's a really good question. Um, every time someone brings up childhood, my mind just immediately goes to somewhere vulnerable. And well, let's just put it out there that this is going to be a vulnerable podcast, you know, and um, I want to be transparent with everything. So with that being said, um, when you ask that question, my mind immediately goes to um, a lot of, you know, like turmoil with family um, growing up didn't have like that nuclear family, like the perfect mom and dad. I don't think any of us have that. Um, but it was very, it was very difficult um, in the households. And oftentimes there were a lot of fear um, about personal safety, to say the least. And I always resorted back to art. Um, and I found that safe haven, you know, just behind my closed doors when they were fighting outside with my parents. Um, I went back in and you know found that safety net for myself and it was through through art and at its highest level like i could express deep emotions that i wasn't able to process at the time being just because i was so young and naive i didn't know what was happening but there are a lot of emotions um, so i found a really healthy outlet through that with art and so since then it was like five six years old i knew that I was a creative person that was like the instant spark for me um so i went on and you know followed my heart um and pursued that with an undergrad in fine art at uc irvine and you know during that time i was a little lost too because i was in classes where there were you know flat world society professors and um, a lot of like theory-based courses that i didn't know how it would translate to something feasible, you know, like economically for me when I graduated. So I 
took on some marketing internships, not so much, you know, like art related or, you know, design per se, but it was close enough. It was creative. So through that, through the internships, I saw fun, fun things happening on the other side with the graphic design, you know, team. And I was like in marketing, like, I, I love it too, but I'm like, they're having more fun over there. I want to join them. So I kind of just you know, reached out to my manager and asked and got curious. And I think curiosity really brings out the best of, of people. I think you have to be innately curious about things in order to pursue them. So again, I followed my heart and went and pursued graphic design. Didn't know that was a thing until college, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you could make a living doing that. And um, somehow I found, you know, a way to marry both design and art, something strategic, but also very emotive um, together. And I found a very nice balance between the two with the type of work I do now. And, you know, as strategic as it is, based, you know, in, you know, business objectives and things like that, I oftentimes would like to instill as much creativity in terms of like emotion and you know my perspective my point of view of the world into the into the work i do so i think that's what really drives the creative and makes it different takes it up a notch is when you are able to interject a piece of you and your story into that work so it's not just the same it's not it doesn't blend into you know, the sea of sameness that we see every day and oh like we take inspiration from this because it, it looks cool but you know there's no narrative there's no you in that mm -hmm. so it's, it's nice when you take a piece of inspiration and then you transform it into how you see the world through your lens and your perspective and you grew up like truly in LA proper, right, Jackie? Um, I tell people who are from, you know, Denmark or other places like there <laughs> too, like, yeah, LA, but no, it's it's called Diamond Bar. Um, it's like 40, 45 minutes away without traffic. Who knows, with traffic two hours. Um, yeah, it's a little like suburban city. And I like to say, um, Snoop Dogg lived there. I don't oh, know where there he was Long Beach maybe, but I went to high school with his son and yeah, he was into football. So that was really big at my school. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess my real question, um, aside from knowing Snoop Dogg's uh, son, but um, <laughs> did growing up in Southern California influence you in a way that is visible and tangible within your art currently? Not so much Diamond Bar. Um, it's hard to find like visual cues from there or, you know, the history of it per se. But I would say being raised in a multicultural family definitely influences my stuff. Um, like the cookbook that I, I just made, we can get into that later, but it's super personal. And um, it was um, like my identity was what I struggled with growing up. And so me trying to be, you know, completely American, whatever that means, um, like, you know, being assimilated into the culture fully, like, well, I can't look like it. So I have to speak like it. I have to act like it. I have to, you know, do all of these things to be American and to be accepted um, by, I don't know who, like other communities that I, you know, trying to say that I am American and, you know, I don't need to go back where I come from because I was born here. So that's where I'm from. Um, like the whole 
you know, the question that everybody struggles with, um, like go back to where, or where are you from? Um, and yeah, so being raised in a multicultural family really influenced, really influences my work now. Um, yeah. It's really kind of sad when we grow up in communities that don't respect everyone's cultures. Like moving to New York, it's, it's so diverse. And especially if you go to Queens and other locations where you can literally find every single person represented <laughs> almost on a city block. And being able to not share your culture openly and freely and maybe be even bullied for that. What mm -hmm. Did you find that you had to try to assimilate beyond just American things and try to fit yourself into a particular mold? And I guess this is a two-part question. When did you feel that you could break away from that and truly be your most true and authentic self? Uh, recently, like last year. <laughs> it, it took me a long time um, because like I said earlier, I had a lot of turmoil at home and my family, like they're all divorced and there was a lot of fighting at home. And, and I kind of associated that with being, you know, like Chinese Taiwanese, which is what my mom and my dad is from. And I don't know why I made that mental association immediately. Like when I was younger, like, oh, it's because of the race thing. And it's not, you know, it's just family, family things. Um, so because I made that association so early on, I kind of try to push that, you know, the Asian side away from me and say, like, if I can escape that, then I can find some kind of, you know, like peace with being American completely. Um, so that was like a lot of the, the things I struggled with personally. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I think like last year, I took a little road trip just by myself. I drove all the way from California to um, Oregon and then Seattle. So through the PCH, it was beautiful. But yeah, I did that drive by myself and just worked remotely for two months out there. And that was when I sort of, you know, discovered my cultural identity through food. Um, and I think it's a gateway to any culture, like through food. If you don't speak the language, if you don't, you know, know too much about the place, if you've never been there, you can really taste, get a sense of feel for any specific culture through that medium. So I think it was beautiful um, that I got the opportunity to, to do that. I think we all have our, the same basic needs and wants and desires to this need to be accepted, loved, appreciated, and respected, of course. But um, it's so easy to see how we're all different just from a baseline level, but that's so superficial because when you sit down with someone, regardless of their culture, whether it's around a fire or just a kitchen table, eating food and sharing stories, even in snippets of language that you can understand, whether it's body language or otherwise, laughter, smiling, you all of that dissolves and we just realize that we're people and we have the same basic needs and food is at the heart of all of that because it's above just a, a a thing that tastes good. It's, it, it's essential, mm -hmm. a nourishment for life, but also the soul. And mm -hmm. I guess my question is, when you found this new connection to food and your culture, did that unlock anything in, inside of you um, that was notable? That's a really good question. 
<laughs> when I rediscovered my culture through food, um, it just immediately took me back to growing up. You know, I didn't have um, a lot to say with my parents. There was a little bit of um, a cultural barrier, a language barrier, if you will, too, because I'm not fluent in Mandarin. Like I can speak conversational and um, things like that, but I can't read and write mm. to the extent of a true, you know, person coming from from there. Um, so there was some language barrier there, um, and oftentimes, like you said, it was nourishment for the soul um, when I couldn't find words to express myself or to talk about things that were bothering me deeply, I found love and comfort through their food. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot the question, but <laughs> I'm sidetracking maybe. No, I think, I think that's probably, that answers, I think, it beautifully. And I think it's just an introspective realization and kind of where you came through, came from an ancestry, a connection to place. And mm -hmm. I mean, I could dive into to food forever because it's one of my greatest kind of like passions and hobbies is making food from a variety of different cultures and being like, I mean, looking at me, you would have no idea what culture I'm from. I'm just like a white American looking guy. And so my only connection to my ancestors is through food as well. So I'm, my last name is Stepetic, it's Croatian. That is not how you pronounce it in Croatia. So like the, it was only talking to my grandfather that I even know how to like pronounce my last name, like Stipetic correctly. And then the Croatians in the comment are gonna like slaughter me, but that's, <laughs> but, but I mean- You can't fit anywhere. You're yeah, never anywhere. If, if you're American, then you're American. You just are yeah. what a cultural melting pot of whatever. But um, so that connection to my father's side and then my German side through my mother and, and her father, my grandfather, connection to them as they kind of fled to escape World War II and come to America, it was just my only way of kind of learning about that culture was through the, the storytelling of my grandparents, but also mm -hmm. through the food that they presented at the dinner table. And I think we all have a lot of those types of stories that let us kind of understand who we are, where we came from, and know that we're standing on the, the shoulders of like much stronger people than ourselves that have mm -hmm. probably suffered a lot more than we have to even get us to this point where we can have a job on the computer pushing pixels around. <laughs> exactly. But you had mentioned your cookbook, Jackie, and it's a digital cookbook. It's beautifully designed. I'm going to put it all up on the screen so everyone can see it and a link to it. But um, I guess my question is, with this new discovery of kind of greater culture and food influence, what made you want to write a cookbook and why now opposed to, let's say, like years in the future or, or six months ago? Yeah, good question. I was so homesick after I moved from California to Denmark. Um, and you're wondering why I moved is because uh, I met my then boyfriend, now husband, um, and we were both working in LA at the time and um, somehow just met by chance. And yeah, now I'm here. Um, so I was very homesick. I couldn't find any really good home homemade food. Um, the restaurants are really expensive here and um, there's not a lot of 
um, I would say like Asian cuisine yet. And I just found myself naturally in the kitchen more and, you know, like messaging my parents, hey, give me the recipe, like, you know, send it over. I need to make this because I just need to feel like home again. Mm. Um, and so the cookbook came from that. And I knew it was the right time just because of after the move, um, I had that revelation um, for myself, like of where mm. I was, my identity. And I just think it was it was the perfect time. And um, I always wanted to do it. So I just, yeah. I just went through with it. What What's your favorite recipe in the cookbook? It's a hodgepodge of many different cuisines that have influenced me and that I have grown up eating. So a lot of like truly Asian food, also um, Asian fusion with American, some Mexican too, because California is so close yeah. with all the tacos, you know, <laughs> you can't skip out on Taco Tuesday. Um, and also Danish. I realized there are a lot of similarities between Danish and um, Asian too, which is crazy. They eat a lot of pork, like Chinese mm -hmm. and Taiwanese people do. They actually have more um, pigs than humans in Denmark. Wow. Just fun fact, throw it up. <laughs> um, and my favorite recipe would probably be this fusion thing that I made. Um, they're pork pot stickers with creamy parsley sauce. And it's a Danish delicacy. So usually you would have like fried pork skin and then it's the roasted pork that people eat on Christmas. Mm -hmm. And you would have potatoes on the side with this creamy parsley sauce. So I kind of just put it all together in a dumpling form. I made it and it was, it was really good. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I was lucky. That sounds amazing. Oh my gosh. I, now I'm just going to be thinking about like dumplings the whole episode. That's like a food group slash like, uh, I feel like cuisine all of its own. Like there's a million types of dumplings and then you can stuff it with anything to make it a fusion of cultures. Yeah. And there's a lot like in Spanish culture too, like empanadas. That's like mm -hmm. a form of dumpling. There's like so many from different cultures. It's just the genius idea. Yeah. I mean, I guess once the Silk Road was established, yeah. dumplings just traveled to every culture. Uh, yeah, there's like Georgian dumplings, pierogies mm -hmm. from like yeah. oh, that area of the world. Oh, Have you been back um, to Czech Republic or? Oh, I haven't, I haven't been to Croatia. I have been to Germany okay. like a, a long time ago with my folks, but um, mm -hmm. that is something that I'm planning to do with my, my wife. So, um, she's a mixture of a million different things, but the, the piece that she really connects with is that she's Lebanese. And mm -hmm. so we try to make as many Lebanese dishes as well as kind of other Middle Eastern dishes to try and connect with that piece of that culture. And I mean, it's amazing food. Like it, it would be such a shame to only eat one type of food and never try anything else. It's just like a gateway to culture as we had been talking about and also just deliciousness. Yeah. <laughs> but I I mean, since we have been getting vulnerable and, and we can pass on this question, but struggling with a sense of identity within America and then trying to discover that and only discovering that through a road trip through the PCH, is it difficult now that you're in Copenhagen and 
being a Chinese American in Copenhagen and what does that feel like? And if that is too difficult on a question, we'll, we'll pass. But uh, I was curious about what that feels like. No, that's a really good question. I feel very secure in myself and I'm glad I was able to discover that and reach that epiphany before I moved um, because I think I have a really solid foundation of self and and what it is um, to be multicultural and to be a hodgepodge of things as we all are in America. Mm-hmm. Um, we all come from immigrants, you know, and um, I think it's really nice that I was able to come to that before I moved. So now that I'm here, I feel like I know myself and you know, I'm proud to be a mix of things and I'm not shying away from things. I'm not running away from any identity and just realizing that you belong, you know, nowhere, but everywhere all at the same mm-hmm. time. I think that was really nice. Um, so I feel really at ease right now. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> everywhere and nowhere. I feel like that's kind of like the vagabond mindset and hopefully something that we can all kind of adopt in ourselves and as a community of humans, knowing that we're we're all human and that's that's the thing to focus on and not our differences, but our amazing similarities. And I guess this pursuit of happiness and in, in life. If yeah, we all focus on cool. that. It's the paradox of life. Yeah. <laughs> so we established kind of where your sense of creativity came from in this kind of seeking of safety and the beauty that comes from art and your transition from marketing into the design field. When did you have the courage and the wherewithal to kind of transition into going into a, a freelance or solopreneur path? Uh, the pandemic, I think, really oh. headed that. <laughs> like, I had no choice. <laughs> it was just thrown out there. It was the wolf done. Um, yeah, I, I had a job at a clean energy tech startup, and then there was a massive amount of layoffs there following the pandemic. Um, and I just started, you know, like working in house again. Um, and then after a few of those, I just started freelancing um, and I found that it was feasible and really enjoyed working with, you know, really talented people and like-minded individuals. Do you think that you would go back to an in-house job or is it this newfound kind of passion for, I guess, self-independence and freelancing? No, I would say I'm open to in-house. Like I don't have a preference for for like in-house or agency or you know um i think it just comes down to are you cool like can we do we jive you know can we make good work together can we feed off of each other's creativity bounce off you know inspiration and yeah how how well do we work together and is the environment nice um like no ego none of that just creative people wanting to do good work at the end of the day and don't i don't really care in what format Mm. agency in-house whatever you know well, that may be a good opportunity to dive into inspiration, as you had mentioned. And we had talked in your bio and a little bit about kind of gathering inspiration from unconventional places. 
And I do find it fascinating how everyone gets inspired and is interested in different things. Obviously, your wall art is different than my wall art. <laughs> we both have plants, but a different orientation of the, the, the grid wall. Where do you find your inspiration and what kind of lights you up outside of doing the design work? I heard from, I don't remember who, but I heard someone say, a really great analogy and um, if you think about creativity and how as creatives we process things that's what we do mm. um, and we reprocess things and put them out again you know and have our own take on it our own perspective and show the world through our lens um, we need dots to be able to make connections so with inspiration you're kind of increasing your own personal library of dots um, so if you only limit yourself within you know an industry for inspiration then those dots will just be the same and they get repurposed um, but if you expand and go out into other other industries and um, and nature and you know like science and technology and all of these different avenues then you're able to expand that library and you can make more um, connections and associations that you wouldn't otherwise mm -hmm. kind of like when you're on psychedelics um, and your mind is um, you know going down a different ski slope for instance and not the same you know you go off the beaten path you're able to make new um, odd connections that you normally wouldn't. So um, I don't know if that answered your question. I completely went on a tangent and started no, talking no. about psychedelics. Well, you know what? We may put a pin in that and come back to that. But what I got from all of that is that if you are only focused on one industry, let's say like design, for instance, and you're only looking at design work, it narrows in the type of things that your brain can possibly imagine, opposed to widening your net of influences and giving you these building blocks, these dots that you can make connections between a variety of different industries and bring back to your creative work. I think that's an amazing, incredible analogy. I never thought about it almost in the terms of like connect the dots and like linking connections in your brain to the work that you're doing currently. I. I feel like I'm into so many different things that mm -hmm. I just try to pull from the things that I personally like that are applicable to a project. And I like the way that you had phrased it because it's like your brain is a library. Just pull out the book that you need for that moment. And it could be that you're pulling out a couple of funky different books at once and fusing them together. Um, in your creative process, where where do you begin? I start with a brief um, and I tend to look at the competitive landscape of things. Um, sometimes I would create a mark, let's say it's for like a logo and for a new branding project, I would create a mark and that mark exists already. And I am so devastated because I thought it was amazing and it was, you know, the best thing. Um, so I, I tend to do some competitive landscape research first and make sure that you know things that I make will stand out um, and it's not gonna be the same repetitive things. Um, and then after that stage of research and inspiration grabbing, I tend to just go for a walk and let my mind travel and stop staring at a screen. 
um, because I think we get in the loop of, I don't know, at least for me, when I start finding inspiration and cool things that other designers and other creatives are putting out there, I get trapped. And I'm like, screenshot, screenshot, screenshot. And my folders are, it's like over 200 screenshots. And like, it's so hard to filter. So I think that filtering stage that comes after the swipe collecting um, occurs in nature for me. At least that's how I process things is when I'm in open area um, and I'm not confined within walls or, you know, being indoors. So just being able to have that um, mental space to process and filter without internet uh, is very key for me. And sometimes uh, because my mind often goes on tangents, even when I speak, I start talking and all of a sudden it doesn't make any sense anymore um but it's actually helpful in those times when i go for a walk and i start filtering because i would grab things that you know maybe i read in a book or i saw in a film or like other things and i'm like oh that makes sense or that's a philosophical way of thinking about this and try to visually um paint that picture within the project if that makes sense it does make sense. And I wanted to ask you your process because I'm seeing it from a different perspective. So for the for the audience, we worked on Lens together, both the illustration side of things to create actual pieces of cover art for the, the articles that were on the website and then bringing it into a full brand identity refresh. Well, actually just full branding, um, starting with the, the strategy, the mark, working with the editorial team and kind of building out the full design system. And what I saw in your work that I thought was fascinating was that there was so much writing at the beginning stage and kind of extrapolating different visual directions and tying the written ideas that you had to visual swipe. And then from there creating like hundreds of different iterations that you threw onto our Figma. And then we had the hard work of figuring out what was best for, for the actual presentation of presenting a couple of branded ideas and ultimately connecting that to the goals of the client. And in this case, Lens is a, is a digital editorial for the creator economy. So we had a very narrow audience to focus in on, but the inspiration that we were using was from like fine art and old editorial and like the Gutenberg press and, and like line drawings from like Andy Warhol and other things. So it wasn't just like your typical, like here is this way of doing it and we're gonna stick to this industry. It was like a combination of a million different things and that came from you and also the client. So I feel like diving into that part of the process was super interesting for me to see because my brain very much works in the visual side and then I backtrack to the strategy from there. Um, mm -hmm. But it seemed like it was almost the reverse from you. Is, is Am I true in my assessment of thinking about the words first? I didn't think about that, but I guess it makes sense in hindsight. Um, but I don't think that's always the case. Like it differs project to project. Uh, so I think I just had an easier time to write the words, I guess. But yeah, I would say ideas first, and then I build on visual narratives on top of those. Yes. Um, and I think, I guess it comes from like a hobby of mine is I like reading 
like anything. And um, sometimes I would read like philosophical books and then I find a passage that I really like, I would highlight it. And then I would try to make a piece of art from it. Um, so it's like very out there, you know, and blue sky thinking. And then how do I visually convey that meaning and symbolism? So I think that comes from that maybe. When did you find a connection to reading and what are you reading currently? I did not hate reading when I was a kid. <laughs> um, honestly, yeah, it was not my thing. And then, Same. yeah, I did, I'd rather watch like a movie or something, you know? Um, I didn't get it. But uh, I think after like college, I kind of picked up a good book. First started with like business, creativity, self-help books, and then really got into um, nonfiction and fiction. Um, but right now I'm reading a book called Shadow of the Wind by Carlos, uh, don't remember the first name, but it's a, it's, um, it's a really great book. <laughs> I just started, so I can't really say much about it. All right, shout out, shout out to Carlos, Shadow of the Wind. Because uh, <laughs> I love, I love reading now. I mainly read nonfiction, but do you have a, a book that changed you in some either mental, spiritual, or philosophical way that, that was transformative in your day-to-day -day life? Hmm. I really like um, this book called Women Who Run With Wolves. Hmm. Um, don't remember the author, but you can find it later. Um, I really love the way the author uses storytelling to get her ideas across. Literally, she uh, uses, you know, old myths and old stories to convey this uh, woman archetype, like this wild woman archetype, mm -hmm. um, essentially to help women get closer to themselves. So I think it was really transformative for me. Um, and in one chapter, she lays out, um, she talks about how if you look at your line, your life like a timeline, um, you can jot down places where you've essentially died, like your spirit has died because life and death exists in harmony. Um, so in order to be rebirth, reborn again and to have that rebirth, you need to have a death. So mm -hmm. whatever that is um, in your life, like a struggle um, that you have to overcome, that can be marked as like a death. And how did you come like rise from the ashes from it? So I thought that was really interesting. And I actually did that with myself and mm -hmm. found it very healing. Mm. I was going to say, uh, this seems like this book very much collides with your journey on the PCH and this rediscovery process. Were you reading them yeah. in tandem? <laughs> it seems like that's like the... Um, like the whole theme of my life right now, but I think it's just a stage, um, just being really excited about rediscovering myself, I guess. I think it's an important process. I don't know if it happens like maybe at stages of our, our lives in this kind of evolution of ourselves, but I do like the symbolism of the, the death in a way, and then the rebirth, almost like a phoenix rising from the ashes in a way mm -hmm. and becoming anew. And I feel like, in my experience, kind of moving from a freelancer to a studio model was a death in a way, because I literally told 
agencies, no, I'm not going to work with you. <laughs> yes, I understand that you're most of my income, but I need to do this on my own and do it my way. Otherwise, I'll never be fully comfortable with myself. I'll be beating myself up because of that. So I could see that as like a metaphorical death and renewal. And now to take it back to you on your journey, did you have that in your career when you kind of pivoted during COVID to, to this new kind of freelance lifestyle? Or even kind of where do you identify that in your life? Where are those big deaths and those kind of resurrections for you? That's a good question. I personally, in my life, um, I think a big turning point was going back to the identity thing again, um, forgiving myself for a lot of the things that I've taken on and I've self-blamed. Um, so being able to forgive myself and to come to love myself again, I think that was a huge birth rebirth for me. And it helps um, with my creativity as well because I learned to be gentle with the process, um, and not to be too hard on myself when things don't go wrong or when I make something and it doesn't look good or, you know, a lot of the same struggles that creatives have. Um, I remember when I was in college, I had a night where I was just so devastated because I felt like it was truly uh, artist block. I couldn't mm -hmm. make anything good and I didn't have a style per se, like nothing looked new. Um, it's the same old, you know, struggle that we all have is how do you stand out? Um, and I just remember thinking like, oh, this looks just so basic and I don't have my own sense of identity or style within my work. Um, but again, when you're stuck, you know, mentally, it's important to, to move just to go get momentum again. And that's how you become unstuck physically and mentally. And so once I started doing that and just stopped caring about being stuck in the artist block. I just created and created and created and a lot of the things were crap um, <laughs> in the beginning. But you know, once I got the momentum and surpassed that stage, I was able to find um, something that resonated with myself and with others. And I didn't think that because I didn't have self-confidence in my own work, but it took other people telling me that, you know, you're good. Um, so, yeah. you the, did you have to find the proof? I mean, how does one truly get over artist block? Because I feel like it happens when we expect it the least. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. You just keep making stuff. Like you really have to just move, like physically, even just going to the gym, going for a walk, whatever. Like you need to move to get rid of stale energy. Hmm. Um, so being stuck is, I think it's a physical thing too. Like physical activity affects your mental state. So I think it starts with, you know, being healthy and having having that momentum. Yeah, I couldn't agree more in that case. And to bring it back to stale energy and momentum and moving, I had heard this study from, from someone in sports medicine, name will be alluded because I don't remember, but they were talking about that you don't need to walk 10,000 steps a day. That's just an arbitrary number. And that you can walk anywhere between like 3,000 to 5,000, whatever steps a day and feel the benefit. It's the, the act of walking moves extra stagnant fluid through your body so that mm -hmm. your body can function and process 
in the way that it's supposed to. So literally moving stale, like energy. Literally. What ways are you kind of moving and, and uh, exercising to get yourself in like peak physical, but also mental condition? Go to the gym and I train, you know, all the muscles, upper body, lower body, everything. Um, but also like eating well, healthy, um, and having good, you know, social connections with people. I think that is super helpful. Like I really need um, just a small group of friends, nothing more, you know, just we can, it can be the same group of people and we just see each other often and, you know, get deeper and deeper in the relationship. Someone told me that there's um, a term for that. It's called horizontal and vertical uh, relationships. So horizontal is when you like just talk to people you know, lots of people, but you only get surface level. And then vertical is when you get deeper and deeper into somebody's, you know, mm. interests and what bothers them and like all these little things that um, makes a person them. Um, so I'm really into that vertical relationship building right now. So I think that helps with creativity too. It's just everything's covered, you know, all the bases. Um, and, and then that gives you strength and, you know, mental capacity to do good work. I think honestly, that's like kind of what we're doing now. We had a working relationship where we were hustling on a brand project, but we only got snippets of conversation about each other's personal lives, whatever that may be. So kind of diving into your past for the first time and having some of these more nuanced conversations, I think is is beautiful and a really interesting way to kind of get to know someone like mm -hmm. while being on a microphone and being yeah. recorded for you know, whoever's out there listening. Yeah. I love that that's the beauty of also just freelance or, you know, remote work. Um, I think when I was starting off in office jobs, I was hesitant. I mean, I was also young and naive. And I was like, do I, you know, are there boundaries? Like, you're my coworker, but can we be friends? Like, can we hang out? Is it going to be weird? Like, you know, growing in school, like growing up, they're like, oh, you need to have work-life professionalism and balance and, you know, have that have that line. Um, but I think you can be both. You can be friends. You can work together, be colleagues, you know, everything. And I think getting deeper with someone and, like, understanding their past and everything and what drives them really brings out the best of everybody. I couldn't agree more. I feel like as a young 22-year-old, I had no idea what, <laughs> what boundaries were. I was just like swearing in the office and going, like talking to anyone like they just wanted no part of my bullshit. Like they're like, well, I guess my favorite story is that I got in trouble for not being at my desk enough because I would go on walks in the middle of the day. And <laughs> it's for research. It's inspiration. Exactly. It's like they didn't get it. <laughs> Uh, but th that's how I knew that I was completely unemployable and was better off on my own. I was like, I guess my ADHD, like golden retriever brain doesn't work inside this business culture. <laughs> that was the turning point. Uh, going back to your point, you had mentioned psychedelics. So I will open this up as a question and ask, what was your first experience with psychedelics? And was that a transformative moment for you? Yes, it was transformative, but I was just really mesmerized visually. So mm. I didn't really have um, 
like the deeper inner workings of when one might be on psychedelics, um, questioning life and all of that. I think I was just enjoying things visually, to be honest. <laughs> just things so, just look really cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what was happening in the kaleidoscope as, as you're sitting there watching the world turn? Exactly, I was just seeing all the inner workings of the world, um, you know, <laughs> the color of the lines and the roots of everything and looking at the ground and it's like, oh, it's like a, a miniature highway. And yeah, a lot of just moving particles all at once. I do think that we could even go back and touch on like artist block a little bit more. It seems like mm -hmm. you overcome it through movement, physical activity, and kind mm -hmm. of getting these little cues of kind of, I guess, like success almost and kind of validation for things working. But when things get really rough, do you have a process that you use to get over the artist block? Or is it just like this need to continually make? So I'm curious about that. I think good things come for me when I'm not stressed. I don't work good under stress. I like to be calm and zen with some essential oils here and there. And, you know, um, I hate being stressed. I can't think. Um, so I will try to make my environment as stress-free as possible. Um, so that's how I think the first step to overcoming artist block. And if I can't create anymore, I can't be in front of the screen, I can't, you know, sketch or anything, I'm, I'll just leave it and it can wait another day. It's not open heart surgery. So um, I don't think it's the end of the world, honestly, just design should be fun. And that's what I keep telling myself. Like, I'm just so grateful that I'm in this profession and I get to have fun every day. I get to draw, um, meet really cool people like you and uh, just do good work. So I try to keep it, you know, as lighthearted as possible and um, also curious um, and yeah, just, wanting to be a sponge and learn everything. And and I think at the end of the day, that kind of alleviates the pressure and somehow overcome artist block, but it comes and goes. Um, yeah, I would make things and then it would work out fine. Do you think that the artist block is kind of connected to like imposter syndrome in any way? I feel like that's what I get hit with most so good like i look at your work and it's like what the f you make jam of the week all the time and like i made one for you but it took me forever like it took me two days i think and i just was stuck on everything and then you pump them out like i don't know how many times a week and i'm just so amazed by how you know bespoke every image is and how it just i listen to the song and i play and i'm like this is visually yes on key um so coming from a third person point of view, I look at you and I'm like, you're amazing. You're a brilliant creative director and designer. So you might think otherwise about yourself, but I think other people may have a different view about you. And that's what I've learned. Um. I'll, I'll chime in. So I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you the process in a second, but um, ultimately I think we're so bad at judging our own work and and it's so funny when we hear compliments from from other people. So you had mentioned getting over stress, uh, creating a calm environment in which for you to create great work, and then you know ultimately getting some sort of level of validation for that. 
And I think that is like the 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 way to get over the artist block. And then to get over the <laughs> imposter syndrome, I think that you have to just ultimately trust yourself. And that comes through all the things that you mentioned. You have to trust yourself. You have to know that it's going to work out in the end and that you're going to get through this stupid block that you have. And ultimately, you've earned your place. And as long as you show up each and every day, you're earning your place to call yourself a creative. I mean, it's when you give up is when you truly fail. So that being said, the process I find is so chaotic because, you know, I I might not even have a song that I want to create for that week and I'm freaking out. So I'm like stressed out about what song I'm gonna fucking choose for this thing. I'm also like, I get so like upset when I don't get one out each week, but then I'll even like, Post, I'll be like, no, it's not going out this week because we got shit to do. So like, no one cares. Like, that's the other thing. No one cares. They probably wouldn't even notice if I didn't post it. But uh, I noticed. So it's chaotic in that way where I'm like trying to find a song. And ultimately, some work better than others. But ultimately, it's trying to connect it to the vibe or the, the beat, kind of the essence of the song and trying to just go off of that. So I mean, Visually, it's just like whatever I feel at the moment. And I just try each week to make it feel different from the ones from last week or a couple weeks ago or a year ago. So that's what I'm trying. I'm just using it as experimentation and trying my best to hold back any judgment at all towards myself. And, and I think when we turn off the judgment, we trust the process and we get into that sort of flow state, then we can create ideas that feel unique or interesting. So thank you for your compliment. Um, it's definitely more chaotic on my end and scrambling to get them done at the last minute, but uh, it's definitely a fun exercise. I can't tell at all. Like, <laughs> I can't tell chaotic. It's, I'm just amazed. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I think it's the, the, the kind of fun pressure of putting it on, I want to do this each week and then continuing to form the idea and get it out there. I mean, I really like the one that you made um, for Aurora, which I thought was beautiful. It was all illustrated. Mine are all more like collage and textural and kind of almost like hodgepodge in a way, because that's like, I guess that I can do. I can't illustrate in the same way. Um, it's always something I've wanted to be able to do and i think it just would come with an intense amount of practice at this point but um you had mentioned that you don't have you didn't have a style back in the day and i think that you very much have like a very unique and beautiful style now so what do was I? that i think so and we could dive into that i could tell okay. you what your style looks like yeah today. please do <laughs> okay. i'm gonna jot this down all right so, hockey style can be described as yeah exactly <laughs> please take notes jackie cow's style is this beautiful this beautiful mixture of abstraction and juxtaposition between bold bright colors and stark dark colors so it's that intense contrast plus abstraction plus this element of like whimsical nature so it's abstract there's usually people in this crazy surreal landscape is what i notice and it has this essence of if 
kind of 60s pushpin style was made very elevated and mixed with, uh, what would be the word? Mixed with like a fusion of different poster designs. That's how I would kind of, like, it's like what your wall art is. So if you're on the video, mixed with push pushpin and then made more abstract. That's how I would describe it. I like that. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know I had a style. <laughs> See, we're bad, we're bad judges of our own character and work. And that's why we need to have more conversations with other people, not to push our egos, but to even maintain a semblance of an ego. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it just came naturally, just making things that I liked myself, not caring, you know, is this gonna resonate with everyone? Because that's gonna be impossible, so. Yeah, whatever I liked, I would just do, and I'm into into all of those surrealism and boldness, and also the pushpin style, I guess. Um, so, just a mix of everything. Imposter syndrome. Let's jump back to it. No, I was gonna say definitely. I mean, even when you reached out about the podcast, I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna contribute to this conversation. Like, I looked at your lineup too, and thought like it was so out of place like where how do I fit into this everyone's so accomplished and total imposter syndrome but I'm having a lot of fun right now and yeah I'm really glad I am having this conversation with you if if you want to talk about imposter syndrome so I had this idea maybe like a year and a half ago to do this and it took me a year and a half to get up the bravery or or tell myself to get out of my own way to do it and when I reached out to people they were like Hell yeah, let's do it. And I, I thought it was going to be like, why would we want to do a podcast with you? <laughs> Which is such that a- That was the narrative you kept telling yourself. I, I guess the narrative I thought was just like, I know that people like Rogue, mm -hmm. but I don't think they know, like, not everyone knows me on a personal level. And I think it was the fact that I didn't think that I had a personal contribution that I could make to the creative industry or that people would find me or my life kind of interesting. And it was when I started to notice what I spent my time doing, I listened to a lot of podcasts and the people that I'm listening to, you know, I, I don't even know who they are and they, they don't necessarily, it doesn't matter if they're more famous, less famous, uh, it, it, that didn't make any difference. It was their story and what they wanted to tell on that podcast that made a difference in my life in some small way. If I'm going to listen to an hour, two hours of someone talk, it better be somehow informative or help me in some way, even if it's just entertainment. So it was through the process of just having casual conversations offline with people that I was like, oh, I really enjoy this and this is very nourishing to my soul. And then I was just like, if no one listens to this, so be it, I'm doing it for me. And if people wanna get value out of it and wanna jump on board, great. You know, you can leave your nasty comments in the basement, mm -hmm. like that's fine, like I don't, I don't really care, I'll probably just end up deleting them, so go at <laughs> it, <laughs> doesn't matter. But if it helps one person, it's worth it. So if they can get over their imposter syndrome, great. If they can take something away from this experience about vulnerability or appreciating their culture, that's beautiful. And who am I to stand in the way of that? I love that. That's beautifully said. But I think that you deserve a place in this lineup. I think that 
just hearing your story from our offline chats was beautiful. And ultimately, I think that everyone has an amazing story and, and value to share because we're all interesting people, even if we don't know that about ourselves and just mm -hmm. being able to kind of communicate that and put that, I guess, positive energy into the world. I think we need more of that than the negative stuff, which is all around us. So yeah, if that helps anyone to get over their imposter syndrome or push forward a little bit more, yeah, I'm super happy to share that. I love that, being vulnerable today. I think that's important too, like the vulnerability aspect. I mean, it's not super present in design all the time. I mean, we all put our best work on social. We put our best faces on social. We're all just trying to hustle to get work and and especially with the craziness in our industry and the shifts in technology, just trying to find a way to stand out. So it can be pretty competitive. So mm -hmm. it seems counterintuitive to be vulnerable, but ultimately vulnerability is just being open and honest in most ways. And I think that as human beings, we connect more with the vulnerable people than the people who have the flashiest kind of armor and protection against that human side of themselves. Yeah, that's right. Also, I think like when I think about personal relationships, being vulnerable, yes, being honest and transparent, but also having the courage to have difficult conversations. Um, I think that takes a lot out of me because Sometimes I would just resort to anger, oftentimes actually, not sometimes. Um, I would resort to anger because it feels good and it's easy and it's like what I'm used to. And it takes a lot more vulnerability to say, hey, this is how I truly feel and I want to work on this. And it's not you, it's not me. You know, like you said, it's us, it's we're a team. And yeah, that source of vulnerability is. Um, it's hard and it takes work. And it's nice when we show up like that and especially in the design industry too, when we put faces to you know brands and mm -hmm. like what you're doing, it's really important. Yeah, and I think we all can strive for that a little bit more, especially knowing the fact that we're all human, we're all working through things. We're all need each other to kind of be there and support us in some way and <laughs> know that we're not going to be perfect every time, but we're all on this pursuit of, I guess, self-betterment and excellence and pushing to the next day so that we can try and be, let's say, 1% better. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> let's flip the script and pass it over to you, Jackie. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanna dive into a little bit more? Any questions that you had for me? I had a question that um, I wrote. What is the best piece of advice you've gotten throughout your career? I think the one that comes to mind right now is, is keep going which sounds so stupid. <laughs> no, going back to being stuck, you know, it makes sense yeah. and I'm sure you have more to say to that. It's it's definitely keep going and I'm not sure who gave it to me or like 
where it exactly came from, but it every day I wake up and I do say that to myself. I say, keep going because there are days that I wake up and I'm just like, fuck this. I'm tired. I don't want to get up. I don't want to say something on Twitter because I literally don't give a shit and neither does anyone else. And there's always some some moments in, in, I guess, like our career, depending on the season, that things get a little bit more challenging. And the things that were fun aren't as fun as they used to be. And I think it's those moments where we need to kind of analyze what's happening in our lives. Do we need to evolve as people? Do we need to uh, do more outside of work uh, in terms of our hobbies? And kind of reflect on that. And it's when I'm having those moments, I realize that I'm somehow out of alignment, but I have to still keep going every day. So I have to do the personal work. I have to keep doing the business work because otherwise the business will get stale and ultimately die. And it would be 100% my fault for not continuing to do the little tasks each and every day that move the bar forward that are kind of unseen. So I mean, the the just posting on social media and continuing to stay at the forefront of people's minds. That's how Rogue has been able to survive. Cultivating connections with other people, whether it's through just casual conversation, um, complimenting them on their work, uh, pulled outreach to other people and trying to get new work, following up with old people, clients, or past relationships to try and get a project. And so that has been like the biggest thing for me is just keep going. I mean, it resonates, I think, with anybody and everybody, um, whether they have, you know, a similar mission or not. I think, mm -hmm. yeah, we all have to just keep going and keep swimming. Um, yeah, but also following. Yeah, keep swimming. <laughs> Um, following from that question, uh, I guess, what is the the why behind it all? Why keep going? Mm. So I'm a very stubborn person, Jackie. And I think part of it, the keep going, is to prove it to myself that I can run a successful business and be there to support the team. But I mean, that would be the superficial thing. That's That's a part of it. But ultimately, I want to keep going because I want Rogue to be this safe haven for creatives that they can come in and freelance with Rogue or, or join the community in general as as either an employee or, or a, a, a solopreneur or whatever their title that we kind of work out what they want to be called. But um, continuing to give them an opportunity to do the most creative work of their career, to make beautiful work, to work with great clients who respect and value them. I found out very early on that some clients are not a good fit for Rogue culturally and ended up treating me and others like shit. And that was a hard no. I just would rather be broke as shit than work with people who don't value me as a human being. So yes, you got to pay the bills. Yes, you got to eat. But ultimately, it's more important to me that I have great clients who value us as people who ultimately want to contribute to the world in some better way, whether it's putting out a great product or they have a beautiful mission. They're somehow making the world a better place. Those are the clients that we take on. And ultimately, I think 
are what fuel me up working with great people. Ultimately, the rogue mission is to create a world of better brands. And that could be translated in ones that we create ourselves or the ones that we help people to create. And that's what kind of keeps me going. It Ultimately, I'm stubborn. I want to run a successful business and have that be part of my personal identity as a person who builds and creates things. I want to be able to sustain that into my very, very late years uh, when I turn into a silver gray haired fox, as I hope. <laughs> Salt and pepper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If I could be that guy, I'd be a happy man. But uh, um, yeah, that's that's what kind of keeps me going every day. I love that. What would be the why that keeps you going? Now that you turn it back on me, I need to, I need sure. time to think. Yeah. Well, give me 24 to 48 hours and I'll- uh, Yeah, exactly. I'll send you an email. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. I'll, I'll read it out loud and put it in post-production. I think for me as a creative, I have this like deep sense of purpose that um, like my perspective matters in the world. I think each individual, like they have their place and um, it's important what they do. Like you might think, you know, what's one person going to do? But if you, you know, have a collective, you can really make change. So I think as that holds true to me, I just want to contribute and do my part in the greater system of everything um, to get the wheels running, you know. Um, and I know that I myself and, you know, every individual, um, we're all connected in some way or another. It's an ecosystem and even with nature, we're all connected. So I think I just feel like I have responsibility to to keep going uh, because of that. Like I want the system to work. And even though I'm, you know, just doing design, you know, just, but it's important. Um, so that's my why. Beautiful. Do you also have a best piece of advice that you've gotten? It might change, but as of now, what reigns true to me is uh, learn how to fail. Mm. And uh, going back, I'm thinking when you know it was locked down, I picked up a new hobby, roller skating. Never done that before. Never, I've ice skated maybe twice and always just ate shit. So I'm not good with wheels, no skateboard, nothing, right? And I saw a really good friend of mine dance skating and I was like that looks so fun and she's so confident after a couple of videos I'm like okay you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna order some skates started skating fell like instantly every single time maybe for like a month and then there was one point where I just started getting really good and then the growth mm -hmm. just exponentially like through the roof and I was surprised but I think that came from knowing that I'm going to fail and that it's okay and it's going to hurt and I'm just gonna embrace it and go all in. So I think that's what really, you know, spearheaded my roller skating journey, if you will. Failing upward. I think that's, a big, upward. yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Cause like we have to learn from our mistakes in order to get better. And I think celebrating our failures is is a beautiful, but also bizarre exercise because it's not a part of, the American culture, and I'm not sure if it's part of many cultures, kind of celebrating our losses, but <laughs> I think it's important. And I'm, I guess I'm curious, this is a question that I sometimes 
save for the end, but I'll say it now. Do you have a, a favorite failure in your life? Yeah, I, I totally believe in the butterfly effect. So everything happens for a reason and whatever, you know, occurs will lead you down this path and whatever didn't occur probably saved you from something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I, after I graduated college, I really wanted to go to New York and, you know, go after that design agency job, you know, that whole dream. Uh, work at Collins, like all these like really cool brand design studios. Um, that never happened, but it was so embarrassing because I went around telling everybody I knew I'm going to New York. And in my internship at school, people were calling me New York Jackie because there's two Jackies. And yeah, they, they like differentiated me already. Like, oh, that's me. She's going to New York doing good things. And that never happened. And I was so embarrassed. But I think uh, that was a failure that, you know, probably went for the better. And I wouldn't have ended up here if I moved there. So. Well, New York Jackie sounds pretty spunky, but I think uh, Copenhagen Jackie sounds pretty chill and happy. Yeah. So. And what about you? Oh, wow. I have so many good failures. I feel like <laughs> uh, I feel like I fail all the time. Like every day, I feel like there's a failure. I, let me see what my kind of favorite failure would be. Um, oh, I, I'm, this is funny. So there's a couple of ones that like I think worked out for the best. So like I quit an agency job turned and then immediately went into this full-time freelancing job doing like user interface design for museum exhibits so it was really cool but i was supposed to be working 40 hours a week and they gave me like seven <laughs> and so it's like this was supposed to be like my job guys like what what happened so i ended up quitting that and then i was supposed to get this job with a design agency in New York. I won't name any names because uh, we're we're on good terms and like it, it didn't work out for the best. But like I didn't get the agency job. And like in my head, I didn't get the job because I thought that he just didn't think I was like cool. <laughs> and, and so I like failed at locking down my New York job. And then I was just like, oh shit, I have to figure out how to make money. And so I started freelancing and I just didn't make money for like a month and a half. So it was just like hustling to try and like reach out to as many people as possible and also find work and just posting on Dribble every single day. So my failure to get that job probably led me into the skill set and the ability and transitioned me into freelancing, which ultimately led me to creating Rogue. So I think the failure of getting a couple of jobs after I had quit that original job led me to where I am now. So I do believe in the butterfly effect and that things happen for a reason. And I mean, I'm here as a result of all of those, I guess almost like forced decisions on my life opposed to choices. <laughs> Yeah, but it works out for the better, you know? Mm. I think yeah. that was a failure, right? I I wouldn't call that a failure, but you know. Okay. <laughs> if, if I were to say a failure then, like literally fucking up and failing, um, I would say some of my biggest failures are not analyzing that a client is a red flag 
and kind of ending up screwing us as a business down the road. So not not seeing those red flags that someone was going to be just like an upright asshole mm -hmm. and like not pay and these kind of like horrific experiences. I think that not seeing those red flags is kind of a big failure that I was desperate for the money. And so I took a job and that's why I went kind of on that rant earlier about like, hey, it's more important that you find someone culturally who's a good fit because, you know, you get fucked like once or twice and then you realize, okay, I can't, I can't really do that. It hurts in the long run way more than just like the financial burden of trying to figure it out or waiting for the next kind of client to come along because they always seem to come along even when you don't expect it. So I think that's the lesson that I learned from, which I would consider a true failure is kind of inviting in shitty clients to kind of ruin our workflow and enjoyment. Right. If you don't mind me asking, what are some of the red flags? Oh yeah, totally. Um, so I think some of the red flags are if the person is starting his business but doesn't know anything about the industry that they're in and is looking for you to kind of like run their business essentially that's a big red flag um the other the other red flag one is that if your communication styles are really really off on like the first call and they're like very blunt and you're very much like very different and they're only looking for like i need this price i need this to be done on this this this, this. If that's not your style, then you shouldn't work with that type of person because it will probably lead to bad relationship over the long run. We had a we had a client like that and we got through the relationship, but it really wasn't a good fit. And it they yelled at us a lot. They made me feel stupid by the way that they were speaking to me. Um, and it ultimately put a lot of stress in my life and a lot of pressure on the team. And that's not what you want either. A little pressure is good. But ultimately, if they're trying to change the scope of work on you right away without kind of adjusting the budget, that's a red flag. If they're trying to change the budget that you propose without changing the scope of work, so the flip side of that, that's a red flag. Communication style is a big one. Um, other lessons learned. Timeline, always make sure you can do things within the timeline, and if you, if it's a rush job, always get paid more. So like, mm -hmm. those are like things learned through the process. And like, I feel like business people are like, yeah, obviously Britain, but as you're learning this stuff from the ground up as a person who came out of like design school or just like wants to be a true artist, that's, those are hard lessons to learn. So I think those are the kind of red flags that I use on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that must be challenging. Um having to run a business too and doing the creative all at the same time, just wearing bajillion hats. <laughs> <laughs> the gajillion hats definitely weighs down your head. You get crooks in your neck and you're all quite <laughs> intense, but uh, that's definitely part of the job. So I, I think that it's not for everyone. And I think there's, if you're trying to freelance and you're wearing a separate group of hats, if you're trying to run an agency, then you're trying to, wear different hats and a lot of them are like leadership hats and trying to grow that muscle so that you can run a team and ultimately create internal culture that allows everyone to 
be individuals and a part of a structure or a group. Mm -hmm. So setting people up for creative success is super important. Um, and it's hard, especially when it's all remote. You're just trying your best to accommodate people's needs and desires and also give them a sense of safety and security through a, a check or a salary, whatever that is. So, Yeah, it's a lot. But what's next for, for Roke? Do you have any like specific clients or um, projects that you would love to work on, like a dream project? I want to do something in the game design industry. So mm -hmm. I've been recently trying to get connections with um, different game design studios because I'd love to kind of like help them showcase their game and tell that story. I love music, so I'm always down to work with more musicians. Um, and mm, I would love to do, like I don't want to do e-commerce, but I'd love to do something in like the food and beverage space that didn't deal with selling products. So like if it was like a kick-ass like Mexican restaurant or something like that would, I feel like that'd be fun to like design Ooh. that. Like a brick and mortar kind of? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really cool. What's what's your dream project, Jackie? Uh, also, I love food. So yeah, brick and mortar restaurants would be cool. And I love like print and, and all that. Um, and I really like music too. So maybe like an event, something mm -hmm. with experi experiential, um, some kind of like, what is it called? Um, I'm blanking out on the, the term environmental signage oh, yeah. design mm -hmm. that would be really cool for like maybe a pop-up event or some kind of festival i would love that would be awesome yeah actually a music festival would be amazing that'd be so fun right yeah it's around this point in the conversation i try to pivot to some some fast and furious questions oh my they God. don't have to be answered fast which is the beauty okay. of it. yeah that's the <laughs> The beauty of editing. Yeah, ex well, they, they're just kind of like fun little questions. Okay. So I have a few Fast and Furious questions for you. The first being, what is your go-to drink of choice? It does not have to be alcohol. Um, but coffee. Yeah, right on. What's your go-to cup of coffee in that case? Just a regular espresso with a little bit of milk, no sugar. Nice. <laughs> um, where's the best coffee in copenhagen that you've discovered so far it's it's a cafe called april specializing in cold brew coffee <laughs> yum delicious i mean well now's the season for it i mean it's summer um i don't know how warm it stays in summer and for how long in copenhagen uh, oh. But hopefully it's park weather and it's staying and lasting for you. It's so nice. Summer is the best here. Uh, but it was raining all of last week, last month, actually. And it just got better. But it's like cruising in the, in the 70s, 80s at most. So it's never too hot. It's, it's really good. And then it starts to get cold around, I would say, end of October. And okay. you feel the change. I'm, you're from New York, so you probably know the extreme weather changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that was a shock for me when I went from California to. Oh, September. that's true. I've never experienced winter. Oh, never. Oh, <laughs> I we mean, could it have would a be like fall would be winter in California. 
Oh, wow. We could have a whole conversation about weather. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite thing to talk about. Do, we, do people on the East Coast talk a lot about weather? Yeah, we love okay. it. It's the best. Um, so I moved to New York. Um, I don't remember the year, but uh, I'm originally from like outside Boston area. Mm -hmm. And that's like how you start a conversation. So in the Boston area, it'd be like, how about that weather kid? Like, that's yeah. like, so be like, can you believe the fucking snow? <laughs> and like, that's like how you start a conversation is just talking about the weather. But it's just part of the weird culture over here because it's always either raining or snowing. And then you're so happy when you see the sunshine. <sighs> yeah, it's the same over here. People yeah. talk about the weather all the time and like I'm starting to do it. So I'm probably <laughs> now Danish officially. So exactly. But it's amazing. Like in one day it changes from rain, two minutes later sun, and then it's wind and then it's rain within an hour. It's amazing. <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that's possible, but it is. <laughs> no. But it helps me a lot with the seasons changing, like actually experiencing experiencing four seasons. It helped me mentally um, to know that like ne nothing lasts. So mm -hmm. if you're going through a rough patch, like it's gonna it's gonna pass, like the seasons, you know. Mm -hmm. So it helps. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have our like seasonal depression and in, in yeah. cold weather climates, and then there's like this glimpse of sun breaks through all the rain, and then it's like, oh, I mean, in the winter, it's like you get a 40 degree day, and like you're out in like a t shirt, it's like the most amazing experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. so warm and nice out, I don't even have to wear my winter coat. It's yeah, you really don't take things for granted. No, it, it really does help with that. Mm -hmm in a way that I guess you can appreciate in those climates where it's always warm. Yeah, exactly. Maybe this is a dead end, but it's fun anyways. I'm curious what bands or music you were listening to in high school and mm -hmm. are they different now or what were those influences in music and how did that kind of like shape you as kind of a teen and then into your adult life? Um. Wow. I listened to a lot of R&B. <laughs> um, also some, I don't know what they consider, like pop, pop uh, rock, Fall Out Boy. Are they rock? <laughs> you wouldn't classify them as rock, right? Pop rock. They're like, they're like indie alternative. No, they're alternative. Oh, they're alternative rock. Okay. Um, but they had their own scene. And like, yeah. what was it? They yeah. wasn't like quite like emo but then there was like uh the bassist like had like the man the man liner on the guy liner and the heat ones yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it was like the wannabe emo i don't know um yeah when i'm like sad and depressed i'm like okay it's fallout boy time <laughs> in the mood um yeah a lot of those and then just r&b well, yeah, what are you listening to now and how is that different? Now I there's like so much new music all the time. And I don't know if it's um because it's I'm on Spotify, so I don't know if it's location based, but there's a lot of I'm sure there has to be like more up and coming, um, like alternative indie and also a lot of like Danish music, like rap, but I don't listen to that. <laughs> um 
So yeah, now it's more like laid back, um, a lot of like working music, like Cronbin and um, mm. like funky, soulful, you know, like a variety of everything. I listen to a lot of Cronbing too, but I can't ever remember how to pronounce their name. So thank you for saying it first. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's pronounced. <laughs> don't take Honestly, my word for it. I have no idea. It's too difficult, but I, I like their music. It It makes me feel like I'm back in Texas where I was originally born, but I kind of like went back with my wife to visit like the Austin area and kind of mm -hmm. fell in love. And then I wanted to move there and then we moved to Cape Cod instead. So I was like, eh, well, I lost that fight, but at least I get to be by the beach. <laughs> what part of Texas are you from? Uh, I'm from San Antonio originally. Okay. And my parents moved a lot around a lot. Yeah. Um, cause my mom was in HR and my dad was a lighting designer. So we moved to Florida. My dad worked for Disney and my mom used to work for Disney. And then, yeah. So a lot of moving until I ended up in Massachusetts where my mom's originally from yeah. and kind of settled there for a long period of time. Was it hard making new friends when you were that young or like, do you still talk to friends that you've made? while moving <laughs> not from back in the day so mm -hmm. i have my friends from like massachusetts where i grew up but yeah not from like florida or texas or any of those other places too young and then i'm sure they like i couldn't even probably find them on facebook there would be too much sleuthing and like uh private investigation work yeah exactly living or dead who would you love to have lunch with? Okay, I'm Van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna have to, what? We're going to have to dive into why, though. <laughs> he just, he's crazy. Like, I just want to <laughs> ask him why he cut off his ear and just, like everything. <laughs> I want to tell him that he's like famous, making a lot of money now. And mm -hmm. yeah, poor, poor guy. Yeah, poor guy. Didn't see much when he was living, but no, I guess that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, here's a much easier one. Um, what would your death row meal be? What's your last meal? Tex Mex. I really like Tex Mex, honestly. I miss it. I, get, yeah. I miss good Mexican food. They mm -hmm. don't have that here. Yeah, I can imagine that would be super challenging yeah. not having amazing tacos or anything close by. Mm -hmm. What would yours be? I I love food so much. So the thing that I'm craving right now, there was I there may be still. Um, I have not checked and been back, but there was this restaurant in the this neighborhood of Boston called Alston, and they had this little Korean Mexican fusion restaurant. So you could get like kimchi quesadillas with like miso chicken inside and it and then you could get like tacos with all sorts of like bulgogi and like delicious incredible food and it was like the perfect fusion and i can't get it out of my mind so i'm like usually craving that if i'm mm -hmm. not uh like chomping down on like barbecue or like seafood around here because it's uh, like an ocean community over this way, but that's that's what it would be. I would do 
some sort of Korean Mexican fusion and just go to town on that right now. And it's, that sounds so good. Korean, anything is so good. Yeah. Korean fried chicken, like, oh. I just want to push your cookbook one more time because it really is beautiful, beautifully designed, interesting recipes. I meant to buy it last week, but I'm going to buy it this week so I can get a copy and make those amazing dumplings myself. <laughs> but um, where can people find you online, Jackie, and where can they find the cookbook? Uh, it's housed on my website. Um, so it's just JackieKDesigns.com. And there's a little dumpling emoji at the top right corner. <laughs> Couldn't figure out a way. I, I didn't know where to put it. So yeah, yeah it's under the hair and you can get it on Gumroad. It's um, down in the link on the page. Great. Amazing. Any last words, Jackie, or message that you want to get out to the audience? It's been super fun. Um, I am so glad I did this podcast with imposter syndrome and everything. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think I had a really good conversation with you. And um, if it helps one person, then like you said, it's it's worth the time. And even just exchanging ideas between us. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much from you. And I am walking away from this feeling really energized and stoked about, you know, the future of design and, you know, all the oh. collaboration. Well, thank you again, Jackie. I really appreciate it. And to everyone out there, remember that we are all legendary and have an amazing story of our own. So on the journey, take the time to be kind, grind, and unwind, and let's make the world a more creative place. Cheers. Cheers.